you. You can have a seat and uh, get out your Bible apps or Bibles, however you prefer, and turn to the book of Philippians as we continue our series we're calling 2020 as we look for that one scarlet thread of the gospel from one cover to the next. Uh, So Philippians was written to believers in the city of Philippi. And Paul started a church there on his second missionary journey. And so you may actually be somewhat familiar with this city of Philippi. Remember, uh, Paul and Silas were there uh, in Acts uh, there. And um, as they went to pray one day, this demon-possessed girl uh, started following them. And for days, she was constantly yelling, uh, These men are servants of the Most High God. These men are servants of the Most High God. They proclaim the way to salvation. And eventually, Paul was so annoyed that he cast the demon out of her. And then her owners realized, Well, um, we're going to lose out on a lot of money now. So they dragged Paul and Silas to court. They told lies about them. And then the magistrates had them beaten and imprisoned in an inner chamber, guarded with stocks on their hands and feet. And as the story goes, it was about midnight. And Paul and Silas were praying and singing. Uh, Two things that uh, are probably not on the top of our list of things to do in a situation like this. But the Bible tells us that there was an earthquake, the stocks and prison doors were were opened, and upon seeing this, the guard was about to take his own life when Paul said, hey listen, we're all here, Uh, just wait. And to that, the jailer replied, what must I do to be saved? And this man is known as the Philippian jailer. Uh, You can read uh, about him in Acts 16. But this is the same city that the book of Philippians was written to. Believers there, probably this this jailer was probably one of the original recipients. And as it turns out, Paul wrote this one from prison as well. Uh, This is one of four prison letters. And and whenever we, we study the Word of God... It's always good to look for key repeated phrases. And so uh, the first blanks on your outline this morning. In Philippians, joy is key. Joy is key. Now think about that for just a little bit. From prison, some form of joy or rejoice is mentioned 16 times. And I think most of us would say, you know, I, I hope if I was in the same situation, I would be the same way, but I just, I'm just not sure if I'm there. So what was it that Paul held on to in what really were some dark times that we sometimes miss? Well, to answer that, we're going to start in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. So um, we start here because the rest of the book kind of hinges on this passage right here. So uh, follow along with me as we read. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and those under the earth, and, those, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So uh, the next blank on your outline. This, uh, this passage here is the lens that we will look at the rest of this book through. So for Paul, 
Jesus was the example, and, and Jesus changed everything. So fill out those next blanks on your outline. Reflect on what these verses tell us about Jesus. First of all, he was in glory with God. He was in glory with God. Now I look around and I see uh, we, you guys live some pretty glorious lives, don't, don't you? I, I, could just, I could see it in your eyes this morning. Um, just, just glorious lives. However, um, it doesn't compare to what Jesus left behind. Uh, I mean, think about that. Um, he was in the presence of God, and he left that to become infinitely less glorious as a man. So we'll just keep that in mind as we continue. He set aside his deity. The next blank's on your outline. Jesus set aside his deity. Uh, think back to Genesis 3. Adam tried to be equal with God back in, in Genesis 3. And Jesus set aside his equality with God. He set aside his deity to become like Adam. That, that phrase, made himself of no reputation, is sometimes translated as emptied himself of his deity. It doesn't mean that he was no longer God. It means that he didn't let him being God stop him from becoming human. Even to the point of death. Humiliating, painful, unjust, undeserved death. That's the next blank on your outline. Jesus died on a cruel cross. But now we know he is resurrected and God has exalted him, highly exalted him. So you can write those, those words down as well. A phrase that means raised to supreme majesty of highest rank. He is above all. And one day, say one day. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a beautiful and truthful poem right here in the midst of Philippians that, that will be the lens that we look through each section of this book here this morning. Uh, this is why Paul could have joy in the midst of darkness right here because of who Jesus is. Uh, so let's, that brings us to number one on your outline. Uh, he's still working on me. You guys remember that old, the old song? Uh, Philippians 1, 3 through 8. We'll go back and read that. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of, Christ, of Jesus Christ. Just as it is, it is right for me to think this of, of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense of, and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. So as is typical with Paul's letters, he starts with this, this greeting. And man, Philippians will preach as we read through it. Um, for some of us, there will be several verses that we recognize because we, we learned them in a class a long time ago or, or we heard them in a song. Verse 6 is one of those. Uh, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you guys remember that little chorus we used to sing way back in the day? Let me, let me ask you this, guys especially. Uh, do you have any incomplete projects around the house? Do you have any incomplete maybe I should ask your wives right um, something that you started and you started it with excitement 
but uh, it quickly waned about halfway through for whatever reason. Uh, maybe it was a lack of resources, maybe it was a, a lack of interest, maybe it was to go work on something else that you probably wouldn't finish. Uh, a lot of us are notorious for that. I'm, I'm in that same boat. Uh, but let me just say, God is not like that. God's not like that. Uh, God never starts something that he doesn't finish. God never runs out of resources. He never gets bored with one and moves on to another. And so we can be confident that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. He's still working on me. Uh, the word for good, he who began a good work, uh, it, it's, uh, it's the same word used in Romans 8.28. And we know that when God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So look at these verses that we just read, the, the fact that he's still working on us. Look at, look at it through the lens of Philippians 2, 5 through 11. How can Jesus emptying himself and leaving the glory of God and coming as a man to die be good? Because God is working and God is good. You can write that down. Because God is working and God is good. He works behind the scenes and in the big picture to be faithful to his promises. And he does that in each one of our lives. So think, think on, your, on your, what's going on in your life right now. Uh, do you have something that you would say, okay, how in the world can this be good? What is good about this work? And the answer is the same for your life. Because God is working, and He's still working on you, and God is good. He's working behind the scenes in the big picture that we cannot see. We, we don't even have the capacity to see. But He's going to complete the good work that He began in you. And so, like Paul, we can trust that He has this custom-tailored plan just for you to make you more like Him. And while it doesn't always feel good, and it doesn't always look good, God is strong enough to make it good. He's still working on you. And that should give you joy. He calls us to trust Him through it. Look at these next verses. Verse 9 there in chapter 1. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. That you may approve the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. Now, church, when we, when we question the goodness of God... The things listed in these verses become pretty difficult. Uh, just, just notice what, what verses uh, 9 through 11 said. That, that love would abound in our lives more and more in the knowledge uh, and, and discernment. In knowledge and discernment. That we would approve what is excellent. That we would be, would be sincere in our faith without offense and filled with the fruits of, fruits of righteousness. See, what if part of God completing the good work in us and still working on us is that he makes these things listed right here in verses 9 through 11 evident in our lives even in difficult times. That love would abound even more, even in, in difficulties. 
that we would approve what is excellent, even when times are tough, that we would be sincere in our faith and without offense, even when we don't like what's going on, that we would be filled with the fruits of righteousness. What What if part of him completing the good work in us is him making these evident in our lives, even when difficult times are here? He's still working on me, and so that leads to number two. There is hope. There is hope. Uh, Starting in verse 12, Paul outlines some of the good things that happened because of his imprisonment. Now, imprisonment isn't good, but God used it for good. Uh, He says that the gospel was preached. Uh, The whole palace guard knew that he was there, not because he was, was guilty of some crime, but because of Jesus. Other believers were so encouraged by Paul's faith that they were bolder in their faith. Pick it up in verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, so, so there's another one of those verses that we may be familiar with. with. Uh, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But what does it mean? Well, Paul knew uh, the only way he could continue to live this life here on this earth that God had called him to with all the ups and downs and difficulties and imprisonments was through the Spirit of Jesus living in and through him. For me to live is Christ. And because he trusted that Jesus would, he had hope. Um, But the threat of death was real. And he trusted that even death would be a plus. Because he would see Jesus face to face. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He wouldn't have to worry about any of these hardships anymore. And that would be great for Paul, but he knew it would be great for others if he remained here took this life-saving message of the gospel wherever he went. And so he was torn between the two. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So look at that through the lens of chapter 2, 5 through 11. It gives us a different perspective. Because one day everyone will see, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. One day everyone will see the the beauty, the glory of the exalted Jesus and will confess it. But what rich blessings to those of us who trust Him in this life. The cares and hardships of this life take on different perspective when we have the hope of Jesus, no matter what comes. So that leads to number three. There is hope, but there's also a call. There is a call. Philippians 1.27, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So how do we do that? Well, in context, it's, this, it's unity. It's a call for unity. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each, of you, each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So we are called to live a, a life that is worthy of the gospel, and we see we do that by being unified. Uh, church, we can be unified under a lot of things, 
But the, the, the call here is to be unified under selflessness. And, and who is our greatest example of selflessness? Of course, it's, it's Jesus, who existed in glory with God, who emptied himself and became a man to die on a cross, but God raised him above every other name. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the context of our lens here today. See, we're called to unity and to be like Christ, to show the world around us His love by not being so consumed with ourselves that we miss the needs of others around us. Um, I I want to uh, take a minute to just make a, a quick announcement because... Um, we were privileged to uh, be able to spend some time with Brother Charlie Costa. You guys uh, probably all know him. Uh, he's a, a BMA missionary to Lebanon. And uh, he was in town last weekend just kind of passing through. Uh, but we were able to uh, just spend a little time with him. And he, was, he made a need that is in Lebanon aware. He made us aware of that. So I don't, I don't know if you've heard what's going on. Maybe, maybe not. But um, man, with the pandemic... It's hit Lebanon really hard. Their, uh, their economy has tanked. It's gone down. The value of their dollar has gone down almost 400%. Uh, and then you probably heard about the, uh, the explosion that happened. It, it, um, it was on a port there in Lebanon, and it, it, it created an earthquake on the Richter scale. It registered on the Richter scale. And so uh, with all of this, uh, plus the fact that on the corruption index, they are really high. And so uh, their government is corrupt as well. Uh, with all of this, there is a need. Um, and so the association, the BMA association that is in Lebanon, um, there are at least 16 pastors right now that um, they are living on, their salary is 80 to to $100 a month. 80 to to $100 a month. Now, you think about that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure none of us live on 80 to to $100 a month. Now, what's going to happen to these pastors uh, when they cannot make ends meet? Uh, they're either going to quit the ministry and get another job, or they will immigrate and just get out of there. And what happens to the light of Christ? Uh, will it still go on? Of course. But does taking pastors out of this country take the light out as well? Yeah, it, it does. And so, uh, Brother Costa let us know, uh, they are trying to raise almost $60,000 to pay for these pastors a $300 a month salary for a year. And so I just want to let you know uh, that our finance committee meet, uh, is meeting today to discuss that, but I just ask that you uh, would just be in prayer about that, because we're going to have a special business meeting next Sunday to discuss what we as a church can do to help that need, okay? So, um, I mean, if we look through the lens of, of Philippians 2, 5 through 11, man, this is all about Jesus, and so I just ask you to, uh, to seek His face this week, uh, put this on your prayer list. Uh, so that we as a church can see the needs of others around us and around the world. Uh, See, this is how the gospel moves forward. Uh, This is how we uh, find joy in the midst of difficulty. And and church, it's it's something that I just need to be reminded of every day. So there is a call right here in Philippians. That leads to number number four. Uh, There are examples. 
there are examples. Uh, in the next section, Paul gives two examples of what uh, this Christ-likeness looks like. Uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Say that, that last name with me. Epaphroditus. Yeah, you probably don't know anybody named that. But uh, it says that Timothy served and Epaphroditus nearly died living on mission. And yet, they still endured because they understood the value of the gospel. They understood that Jesus is worth it. That they understood that Jesus changes lives. Um, so, when I ask you this question, who comes to mind? Who has been an example for you in the faith? Uh, think, think back on your life, uh, as, as far back as you can think. Uh, who has been an example? Maybe it was uh, a parent or a grandparent. Maybe it was a friend. There's likely a Sunday school teacher or other volunteer. Some, of, uh, some are, are with us. Some are sitting among us. Some have, have gone on to be with the Lord. But those are God-given examples for us. I will never forget uh, a man named Jim Moore and Bill Hessel. Uh, they worked with us young men on Wednesday nights in the 90s. And, and honestly, I don't, uh, I don't remember a word they said, but they were still an example of what Jesus was like to me and to a bunch, of, a bunch of young men. I think sometimes we miss the fact that when we volunteer, when we find a place to plug in and serve, there is much more going on than just filling space. See, when we do that, we are ministering to the body of Christ. We are being the hands and feet of Jesus to each other and to the lost. And, and Jesus is worth it. The gospel is worth it. And church, I, I just want to remind us, uh, because of the pandemic, there was a need to start two services, start this, this early service. And, and while there was thought of maybe going back to just one, um, I, I feel like it's an opportunity to grow. We see this as an opportunity to grow. And those who come to one service can still serve in the other. And so it's an opportunity to, for us to grow. It's an opportunity for us to grow in service and in our faith. Church, we need more people serving. Uh, Raven's always looking for volunteers. Kevin, uh, Celebrate Recovery, th- there's always places to plug in. And Jesus is, of course, our example. What if one day a preacher 50 years from now asks a congregation sitting in this, this very room, who is an example to you? What if you came to mind because you were an example Christ. What a, what a privilege it is to serve Jesus. Okay, so uh, it all sounds really good, doesn't it? Uh, he's still working on me. And so there's hope. Uh, because there's hope, there's a calling, and the calling is for unity. Uh, God gives us examples to follow all along the way. However, life still happens. Uh, Chapter, chapter 3, verse 20 says that our, our citizenship is in heaven. And it may be, but we still live here and we still live now. We still have the daily grind. We still have the 9 to 5. We still have bills coming in. We still have relationships that we have to work through. We still have kids and spouses. We still have the news and a pandemic. We still have temptations and we still live in a broken world. These are all very real things that could keep us up at night if we spend enough time dwelling on them. And so does uh, Mr. Uh, Super Spiritual Smarty Pants Paul. Does he have anything to say about reality? Well, actually, yes. Um, actually, God does through Mr. Super Spiritual Smarty Pants Paul. 
because of this, number five, there is joy. Because of all we've seen today, there is joy. Uh, Philippians 4, 4 through 8. Uh, says, uh, rejoice in the Lord sometimes when all of this stuff isn't on your mind. Nope, that's not what it says, is it? Rejoice in the Lord. What's the next word? Always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, this is coming from a guy in prison. <laughs> Let your gentleness be, be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Uh, be anxious for all this stuff we've mentioned that can keep us up at night. No, that's not what it says. Be anxious for, what is it? It's nothing. Yeah. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Verse 8. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Uh, So the old truth, whatever we focus on, becomes bigger, applies here. See, if our list of life is our main focus, all these problems will become bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, Paul was in jail, he was facing death, and yet he still had hope, and he still had joy. But his new perspective found in Christ allowed him to focus on what is true, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is praiseworthy. All of these things found in Christ, and so he didn't have to worry about them. He had peace that passes understanding. The next blanks on your outline, he was content because of Jesus. That's how we found joy in dark times. Philippians 4.13 has been misquoted. Uh, It's been taken out of context a lot. Sometimes we only see the first part. I can do all things. Well, I am not the focus here. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, See, this this verse is not a, a magic incantation to chant when we need superhuman strength. In context, it's speaking of contentment. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 11, I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. I know how to be abased. It means to be brought low. I know how to to abound everywhere and in all things. I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, church, when we look at all this other stuff in our lives for contentment, we will not find it. It will leave us wanting It will leave us worrying. It will leave us unsettled. See, we can have all the blessings of this world and still not be content until we look at life through the lens of Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Jesus existed in glory with God. He set aside his deity and came as a man. He emptied himself to face death on the cross. And God has resurrected him and exalted him to the name that is above every other name. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord of all. True joy is found in Christ. 
knowing that he is greater, he is better, he is stronger, he is worth more than anything in this life that we could ever give up in place for him. And one day as believers, we will see him face to face. Are you a believer? When, when When I say that, I don't mean, yeah, I believe in God, but that you've trusted in Jesus, God's one and only Son, to forgive you of your sins and to purchase a place for you in heaven. Uh, The Bible says that even the demons believe in God. But when I say, are you a believer, I mean, has it gone from head knowledge to heart knowledge? Do you remember a time and place that you placed your faith in Him and what He has done? If so, do you truly believe that God will complete the good work that He started in you? Maybe you just need to recommit to taking God at His word and trusting Him, even though life sometimes really doesn't make sense. Are you content right now where you are? If not, uh, could it be that the cares of this world have taken a front seat to the things that really matters, your relationship with Jesus? You've taken hold of the lies that Satan tries to daily feed you instead of remaining in Christ who gives you the strength to do whatever he calls you to do. What needs to happen in order for you to look at life through the lens of Philippians 2, 5 through 11? As we go into a time of invitation, would you just answer the two questions that we always like to answer at this point? What has God said to you? And what are you going to do about it? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are and just take a minute... What has God said to you? What are you going to do about it?